Hi, everyone. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 2 of The Scrub Life, a podcast for and about surgical technology. My name is Chris Blevins, and I'm so excited to bring you this episode. Um, I had the honor of interviewing Ron Krizel and Grant Wilson. Uh, those of you who may not know, Ron Krizel is the Executive Director of the Accreditation and Review Council on Education in Surgical Technology and Surgical Assisting, lovingly referred to as the ARC STSA. Also on the episode is Grant Wilson, and Grant Wilson is a former president of the National Board on Surgical Technology and Surgical Assisting, as well as the Surgical Technology Program Director at Calhoun Community College in Alabama. So I hope that you find today's uh, episode as uh, interesting and exciting as I did. We had a long conversation not just about the standards and guidelines for uh, surgical technology. Um, those are in uh, their revisions that are currently in public comment. Um, we talked a lot about the revisions and the process for how we even got there, as well as what's to come after uh, public comment closes on September 12th. Uh, and then, of course, we talked about a lot of other hot topics in surgical technology, um, and how uh, you can become a part of the conversation as well. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Ron Krizel and Grant Wilson. It is my pleasure to welcome Ron Krizel and Grant Wilson to the uh, Scrub Life. And today's podcast is going to be um, special uh, and a real honor for me because we're going to be speaking about the standards, um, what we refer refer to as the SIGs, uh, and how they are in public comment um, with some of the curriculum changes uh, that are coming here very soon from ARC uh, and some of the standards and guidelines uh, and the changes that we're hope hopefully going to see soon. Um, they're in currently in public comment. And so, you know, having feedback uh, on the changes that have been suggested uh, is, is really important. So before we get started on the details, um, Grant, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell me just a little bit of, about where you're at and, and, uh, and what you've been doing. Uh, yes, Chris, thank you. Um, I'm uh, a program director at Calvin Community College in Decatur, Alabama. Uh, started the program 21 years ago, so I've been uh, kind of hanging around for a while. Uh, during that time, I've also contributed to uh, our national organization at state and local levels and uh, and participated in different ways. Just recently came off of the uh, MBU STSA board of directors and uh, also have been doing the accreditation site visits for about 12 years now. Um, but just uh, enjoy what I do and enjoy um, the opportunity to participate. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Uh, your your role at the NBSTSA was a big part of why I asked you to be on here, um, specifically because I believe you were a part of that during the uh, the beginning stages of these revisions, right? Uh, yes, ma'am. Awesome. Well, great. Well, so uh, Ron. Would you please talk a little bit about yourself, sir? 
Well, I, uh, first of all, Chris, thank you for inviting me to participate in your podcast today. And uh, it's a it's a real pleasure to be on with you and in particular with Grant. Grant has been uh, an amazing volunteer and and an associate of mine for many, many years and a, a friend I'd like to count as also. Um, uh, Grant and I have worked together on a number of uh, projects and he has uh, served as an on-site evaluator for the ARC for, as he said, for you know pretty close to a dozen years now. So it's a real pleasure to be on with Grant. Um, my name is Ron Cruzell. I'm the executive director of the ARC STSA. Uh, I, this is my second stint with the ARC. I was with the organization as executive director from 2005 to 2007. Uh, spent some time with the national board uh, uh, working on the uh, competency assessment side and the exam side. And uh, starting in January of 2017, I was um, appointed as the uh, new executive or the uh, executive director of the ARCSTSA. So um, I have been working um, on the standards process uh, since the inception, I suppose. And uh, I'm happy to be here to share with everybody what I can uh, related to the uh, process that has gotten us to this point uh, with the standards. And also, as Chris, you so uh, pointedly uh, stated, uh, we are in, currently in the public comment period on surgical technology standards. And I think that's important for everyone to, to be aware of and have an opportunity to participate in that in that due process. Awesome. Well, thank you both. Um, I couldn't agree more. Uh, so looking at the standards that are annotated um, that, that have been uh, published for everyone to see, um, it looks like, so it, the standards go through a process at KHEP, and then they're developed by ARC, endorsed by both, of course, AST and the American College of Surgeons, but also then approved by KHEP or I'm sorry, in uh, the NBSTSA. Is that correct? Um, NBSTSA has feedback as a, as a, as a public comment um, regarding the standards uh, via public comment. Mm -hmm. um, they are not currently a sponsor of the ARCSTSA. So uh, KHEP policy and procedure related to standards revision requires that uh, we, the ARC, uh, we're, we're a committee on accreditation within the KHEP system, uh, get approval of our uh, standards document prior to KHEP approval by our sponsoring institutions. And you uh, stated those both the uh, AST and the American College of Surgeons. Um, that's not to say that we've been in a vacuum. We've worked with uh, uh, in multiple sessions of partnership meetings with AST, NBSTSA, and also on the surgical assisting side, ASA. But um, NBSTSA has been a partner in the development of this process for many, many years. Absolutely. And I saw that the last time that the standards were revised was in 2013. So um, I think it's a good timing, uh, you know, 2021. And and um, I think that this is, uh, you know, I think it's due. Um, so I'm excited that you all have, have uh, decided to revise it. So definitely. Um, can you guys just talk to me a little bit about the process that occurs when when, um, you know, let's say, hey, we decide that, gosh, it's time to revise our SIGs. Um, I guess, how do you even begin doing that? Well, I, 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 might, um, I might speak to that uh, in that, uh, again, uh, ARCSTSA is what's called a committee on accreditation within the overall KHEP um, organization. Mm -hmm. uh, 
there's approximately 20 committees on accreditation representing many uh, professions. Uh, we represent two, surgical technology and surgical first assisting. Yeah. And, um, uh, so the KHEP uh, policy and procedures define basically how often the Committee on Accreditation should uh, undergo a, revi a review and possible revision process of the standards and guidelines for a specific uh, profession. So, Chris, you're right. Um, you mentioned that the last one was in 2013. Um, by a prior KKF policy, because this was recently changed by that organization, we were obligated to review the, the standards process, um, begin the review of the standards approximately every five years um, from uh, the point of the last approval. So that would have put us right at 2018. And lo and behold, that's basically when we really in earnest began to move forward with the adoption of the associate's degree. Uh, up to that point, it had been what's called a guideline in the standards, a, a, a recommended practice, a suggestion for programs to move ahead and provide that as the terminal award. So um, we were pretty much on time. It's just taken us from 2018 to now to navigate through the uh, the KHEP process of moving that that uh, review and the proposed revisions forward. Yeah. And uh, as Grant knows, uh, have been a seasoned program director, it's a it's a extensive process to move that forward. I can I can't even imagine. And then all of a sudden, we have this thing called a pandemic that came and put a massive bump in the road as well. Um, yeah, it's a yeah. uh, yeah, I, I think Grant and I could have an entire other episode about um, about just that alone. <laughs> looking for a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. We're, in, we're, we're really in awe of the program directors and the surgical technology and surgical assisting community, the way that, uh, you know, the response, the rapid response that, that came from all of this uh, this uh, craziness that occurred last spring in 2020 and, and uh, how the programs made adjustments on a dime. And, and again, we're all still trying to sort all this out. And, you know, unfortunately, the pandemic is still ongoing, but um, really uh, kudos to all of our program directors. Absolutely. Well, you know, we take wine and um, alcohol vouchers, I'm sure, as gifts for making it through. We'll, we'll keep that in mind. We'll figure that out somehow. <laughs> well, so Grant, from the NBSTSA's role, uh, especially since, you know, it's you all are the ones, um, you know, obviously in charge of our certifying exam, you know, I'm sure that you all play or have a vested interest in the changes in standards because ultimately that ends up uh, changing, you know, or at least revising some of the questions um, and the expectations that we have for those who are, you know, tr uh, trying to become certified surgical technologists. Can you talk to me a bit about that? Uh, yes, be glad to. Um, first of all, you know, with the close partnership between um, organizations, uh, it is uh, essential that we uh, have a standard for our education that uh, you know, represents the level that ARC brings. Um, ARC is the gold standard of accreditation. Uh, by a program having the ARC SDSA uh, accredit or KHEP accreditation through uh, the COA uh, ARC, um, that ensures that the students are meeting our national core curriculum. Uh, among you know many other parts of the standards, um, but it would it was a change that was made. Actually, it would uh, would have been March of 2000 
uh, when NBST SA uh, back then was the LCC ST uh, made the change to requiring um, that a person be a graduate of an accredited program mm-hmm. prior to sitting for the certification exam. Uh, I remember that change well because that was actually the impetus uh, to many of our new programs coming about. And so the program that I've uh, been a program director, I started um, in August of 2000. Um, and uh, one of the big reasons was this change uh, to formalized education. And uh, so without the relationship, though, that wouldn't have ever uh, been possible. Uh, it has brought a lot of growth in our um, uh, in our field, and uh, yeah, it helps to just make sure that we are, are meeting that standard. So when, uh, when a graduate takes the certification exam, uh, not only are they meeting that entry-level requirement of showing that they've met an, uh, a standard across-the-board academic level of uh, knowledge, the fact that the student is a graduate of KHUP uh, credit institution then uh, lets us know that they've had all the other well-rounded experiences to uh, to uh, achieve certification. Right. Yeah. It's. Uh, I think it's. It should be the ultimate goal uh, because it should be the ultimate standard of care, you know, for our patients. So uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, I also have. Uh, the luck of being the director of the uh, first KHEP accredited program in the nation, actually. So no pressure there at all. Let me tell you. (laughs) We won't go. We won't go there. Um, Yeah. But so have you guys gotten a lot of feedback on the, you know, as we've been in public comment, I I know that public comment goes through September 12th, if I'm correct, if I'm um, correct, but do you know, are you all seeing that feedback in real time or uh, I guess, how does that work? Yeah, you know, and I, I think that's a great question. And you sure know your dates. You're absolutely right. Public comment opened on August 12th. It's a 30 day public comment period and uh, it closes on September 12th. That gives ARC um, two weeks to review public comments and provide any um, uh, appropriate feedback uh, for the open hearing process. And again, the public comment is a written comment period. Um, You need to uh, log on to the uh, KHEP public comment site. I think that that was sent out by email by multiple organizations. KHEP sent that, I believe uh, ARC followed up with that shortly after uh, on around August 13th. Um, All of that being said, that's a written comment process. And then um, institutions can register, uh, our individuals can register for the open hearing, which is uh, September 28th. Um, I believe it is at noon. Uh, I just I strike that. I believe it's at noon central time or it's noon mountain time, one of those two. But again, um, anybody who's interested in listening to this cast um, can reach out to the ARC for further information at any time. We're happy to share it, um, share that information. Um, with regard to your question, we do have some, we have gotten some limited feedback at this point, Chris. Um, uh, typically, it's not real time. We requested approximately a week ago an update from KHEP on the current public comment process. Mm-hmm. Uh, that point, um, there had been 16 comments logged related to our standards process. Um, that those comments varied, uh, did not uh, 
specifically speak to the associate's degree process. There were a number of other questions related to some of uh, the other changes that have taken place in the standards. Um, uh, an additional component of what's being proposed uh, for this round of review and revision uh, is that uh, the ARC is proposing that uh, qualification for educators uh, uh, in accredited uh, KHEP accredited surgical technology programs, that those individuals be graduates of uh, accredited education programs, uh, that be an additional criteria for uh uh, and qualification for educators in the programs. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's another component that's been introduced. And then additionally, KHEP released in January 2021 um, a new standards a new standards template. Um, as you can imagine, with 20 committees on accreditation and 20 sets of standards, there is some effort to try to um, standardize those. And so there's some base language that we all start with in each of these committees. And some of those changes are evident in the standards process at all. Um, in answer to your question, the comments have, um, there have been a, a number of comments uh, out of that 16 related to the associate's degree. Um, again, the intent of the open uh, comment of the public comment and open hearing period is to allow the community to express their support for or their concerns with uh, proposed changes in the standards. So we have both uh, support for the associate's degree that's been vetted at this point and then also uh, some uh, concerns typically related to specific institutional um, uh, uh, concerns you know with their in their specific communities and, and their specific schools so those all have to be taken into account by KHEP in the decision making process uh, I want to you know this is a great opportunity to introduce something else um, if I may um, uh, there's been also notations, our community is really tuned into this, and there have been a number of questions regarding things such as some of the guideline language that previously appeared in the standards document. Mm -hmm. um, it's no longer there. And uh, one in particular, the guideline related to the 10 to 1 lab ratio, which all of you are very familiar with as educators, um, that is no longer uh, in the standard as a guideline. Remember, guidelines are suggestions uh, for optimal practice. Yeah. Um, that will be reappearing um, in the form of KHEP policy um, at the time of the implementation of the standards in January. So that, that has remained in place. And uh, and was not edited or revised in any way by the ARC or by KHEP. That's good because I know that we use that um, and we, or I as an educator, I'm sure Grant, you please feel free to chime in. But, you know, when, I, when I'm begging for more adjuncts or right. uh, more staff, uh, you know, telling them that that's a one to 10 ratio uh, for ARC and that it's the minimum you know, uh, and so I think that gives me some backbone when I have to have those conversations with administration. Grant, can you talk about that? Uh, yes, I think it is essential. Um, it is um, hard to argue for something without it being in the standard, mm -hmm. uh, especially when it comes to uh, increasing the, the amount of payroll. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> definitely is, I think, an essential part of it. Um, unfortunately, with um, administration at the college level, it's, uh, you usually have to have something to back your reasoning uh, for those requests. And uh, accreditation is one which usually gets the, the power. Um, and uh, unfortunately, some of the programs 
are so um, demanding uh, or some of the uh, uh, other programs are so demanding in their accreditation standards that it makes health sciences a very expensive part of the institution. And uh, so sometimes it's hard to argue for what I need as program director um, uh, because it's not in the standards. So it, uh, it's good to have that support in those areas. Uh, and I can't say I've seen, uh, one of the things I've seen over the last 21 years is the amazing support that we get from ARC. Um, and I've seen this growth of our profession and our education um, opportunities. Um, and uh, the process is uh, supportive of the instructors. Mm-hmm. It's a process that helps us improve what we do. Yeah. Um, I know the change to the associate degree is going to be difficult for some schools. Um, I can even say that uh, we recently... Uh, Prior to COVID, we expanded our program to two emissions per year because of the extreme growth uh, of the population in our area. Um, but every time you make a change, it's, then it's hard. Uh, it causes some other ripple effects. Right. Um, so we're going ahead with implementing such uh, uh, a degree only, but it's going to uh, present some challenges that I'm going to have to overcome as a program director. So I'm going to be looking at other ways to recruit additional students, uh, to advertise better uh, on the front end to help students be better prepared to come in the program and maybe even some adjustments to how we offer the curriculum uh, to be better staged for a two-year process. Um, but uh, I think it is worth the, uh, the effort. Every time we make a change, uh, we raise the bar a little bit. Um, it, it may not be easy to accomplish, uh, but it improves our profession. So uh, I'm excited to see where we go over the next few years following this. Yeah, me too. So let's talk a little bit more about program director, because I think that that's something that um, has uh, come up and and I wanted to get your feedback on it because there so I love that the program director, um, clinical coordinator, all of this staffing, um, I like that there's guidelines for, you know, the need to pursue ongoing training. Um, And I think that that's awesome because we, you know, we aren't, we're we're really great and we're experts on what we do in the field, but sometimes that transition to actually teaching uh, and transitioning to the classroom um, can be, can be strained. Uh, but my my question, I guess, is in on the guideline, uh, and for those of you who are kind of following along, uh, it's line 228 that says the associate degree should have a concentration in surgical technology. And my question is, with the requirement for experience, you know, the combination of five years within the past 10 years, uh, with all of those things and the fact that our our associate degree programs are freshly implemented, do you think that that's going to reduce the pool for hiring new program directors? Has that, was that maybe um, a concern in that guideline? Yeah, and I, I think that's a great um, great point that you um, have brought up, Chris. And, and you're referencing right now the um, requirement for the program director to hold the associate's degree. Mm-hmm. 
And again, um, just historically, that's a relatively recent um, uh, requirement that's been uh, uh, vetted into the standards. Um, it may have, and I'll have to, you know, I'll have to retrace my history a little bit, but it may have been included in the 2013 draft. Um, and if, if, if it was earlier than that, it was probably the, the prior draft, which was 2008. Right. So... Uh, but it was relatively uh, relatively recent, I guess. Although you know, time marches on as twenty twenty one already. Um, but at that time, um, the, the 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 intent was to provide guideline language that hopefully provided the concentration. Um, uh, basically, uh, I think that the, the terminology surgical technology was used. Um, health sciences probably would be a better description of that. Um, but currently, the ARC doesn't. Um, enforce or require um, the program director to hold a specific associate's degree in any specific area, be it um, sciences in general or, or even specifically surgical technology. Um, as a matter of fact, um, the current associate's degree language that's being proposed does not designate what that associate's degree um, should be in. Right. Um, left to the institution to make the determination what the best fit is for them to uh, incorporate that additional coursework in. So we may see associate's degrees in um, uh, applied sciences or health sciences or whatever the case may be. Um, uh, there are many programs that have made this transition and they've made a very uh, pointed effort at assuring that those additional courses really help to round out their uh, students upon graduation, that they have those skills moving into the operating room that um, they may not necessarily be picking up. As, as you both know, surgical technology is somewhat of, a, of an entry-level profession into the health community. Right. Um, many of our students are uh, are typically directly out of the K-12 system, or um, you know they have one or two years of, uh, of maybe college under their belt and make the decision to move into this type of education process. Um, so again, they, they may be not getting those fundamental uh skills that we all take for granted um you know communication humanities interpersonal relationship skills um etc etc yeah well so we i guess um i love i think many of us have an associate degree and you know um some of us have a bachelor's degree and some of us are way overachievers in working right. on their doctorate <clears throat> grant wilson so um or did you just finish it is it did you just finish it? Um, you... Oh, I'm definitely still working on it. <laughs> uh, hopefully, knock on wood, hopefully uh, May of uh, 2023. Awesome. Well, so I think an associate degree, like that standard that was met or required back in uh, online 211, um, yeah, I think that that is highly necessary. Uh, I just wonder um, about the, you know, having the concentration in surgical technology and, and um, and curious as to if ARC has a an opinion about like prior learning experience or or what some of us refer to as like a bridge from these being a certificate graduate in surgical technology to then bridging to an associate in surgical technology. And um, I guess has that been part of the conversation or or uh, recommendations or specifically guidelines on on what that kind of bridge should look like absolutely um 
And, and yeah, there has been uh, quite a bit of discussion, and, and we know, uh, not anecdotally, we know factually that there are many programs around the country that have made the transition to associates um, that are offering bridge programs to those prior graduates who graduated via certificate and diploma, and they're, those those programs are very, very successful. They're getting a lot of people coming back for the purpose of acquiring their associates. So that's the first component of that, of of of, I guess, the uh, question. So, um, so in answer to your question, yeah, we do, ARC does support education in any way, shape or form. So, um, we have a large cadre of individuals in practice that do not hold the associate's degree. Although, um, there is evidence to support that, that, that number is decreasing, um, proportionately as our programs make this transition. Um, Right now, out of our 400 surgical technology programs, fully 70, 70% plus are either offering the associates um, exclusively or they're offering it with the uh, certificate diploma track running concurrently. Uh, Again, beginning January 1, 2022, that number will jump, um, obviously, to all uh, all associates exclusively. Um, uh, It's interesting, and Graham, Graham... Grant may be able to speak to this to some degree, but um, uh, similar to uh, accreditation standards, the NBSTSA has uh, examination standards. They're an accredited examination also, uh, their examination, and they have to go through what's called a job analysis every five years. And the best part in my mind of the job analysis, having experienced it for the bulk of my career, is the demographic information. And Chris, you're absolutely right. Surgical technologists are overachievers. Um, Mm -hmm. The there's an increasing number of individuals every five years. The demographics show that more and more individuals hold minimally in associates. Um, we can attribute that to education, but it's also driven by the individual themselves. Um, there's more bachelor's degree surgical technologists, more master's degree surgical technologists every five years. Those numbers are increasing. Yeah. Um, more P- more PhDs and EDDs. So that being said, um, we are a uh, we are a community of overachievers. And uh, and we're driven to uh, not only make our improve our ourselves, um, but also to provide better uh, patient care and education opportunities for our students. So uh, I don't want to um, overstate the the uh, the, uh, the uh, job task analysis process. Uh, Grant Grant may be able to add some more to that, but it's a valuable tool, I guess, in this partnership um, because all of these documents. The core curriculum document, uh, which is currently, as you know, in in development and will be being released soon, the new edition, Um, the standards and guidelines and the job analysis all work in tandem with each other to create this community um, to propel our our students and our graduates forward in the best interest of patients. We are going to take just a short break and then we'll get back to this great conversation in a moment. All right, well, we're back from our break. So let's continue with my interview um, of Ron Krizel and Grant Wilson. These things are happening kind of simultaneously uh, with the core curriculum changes that are coming up. And, uh, and then, of course, the standards and and all of the revisions that we've made. And I and especially I'd love to hear more about the job analysis, because I guess that would give you all this awesome insight as to where we're at really in real time, but also where we're going as a profession, which I think is really cool. 
Well, it's uh, kind of a it's kind of a circle of life there. It all goes together. Um, the job task analysis is done, you know, approximately every five years. It does uh, uh, vary a little bit, uh, but that is that survey that uh, many of us have seen before. That is sent out uh, to every certified social technologist and certified social persons across the country. Uh, now, being the overachievers, we've already established. Uh, we always uh, get a great result on it. So with the last one, there was uh, some 18,000 uh, certified surgical technologists um, responded to that uh, survey. And so that survey gathers all this demographic information, but also information about what our surgical technologists across the country are doing on a daily basis. That then, as it goes through the process, uh, leads into uh, the outline adjustments uh, to the actual certification exam. And uh, so the reason for it is to make sure that the certification exam are relevant to what is being done in practice. Right. Uh, but then that information is also shared with our uh, partner organizations. Um, AST uses it um, the, uh, to, uh, as the basis of going back and reviewing our national core curriculum and making adjustments to it. Um, and then with ARC and accreditation, uh, also being you know, a big part of the of the circle, um, and that it is also then the approved uh, uh, the uh, core curriculum is the uh, approved standard for an accredited program. Mm -hmm. So that kind of keeps it all working together, and uh, it does kind of all occur uh, around the same time because one. Uh, leads to the other, and, and the sharing of that information uh, helps to make that um, make that uh, work, and also just helps to make sure that our um, that our career, that our education, is staying up to date with what is occurring actually in in practice. Yeah, well, I I guess along those lines as well is um, the feedback that like who develops the questions or. In uh, in those surveys that go out, um, you know, <laughs> who decides what questions are asked? Of that that uh, a lot of that is done. It is uh, um, by the testing company. So uh, right now, MB uses uh, PSI, which mm -hmm. you may be familiar with, uh, that oversees that part. So it's kind of a standard um, psychometric process. Um, and luckily, there are those people that handle that uh, part of it. Uh, psychometricians there uh, do all the uh, making sure that the testing is done correctly. Uh, uh, it's a, but they help create those questions along with uh, the job task analysis committee. So um, the committee, there will be... Uh, uh, it is formed each time that occurs. So um, anybody that's interested in volunteering uh, with the uh, MB, um, that is a potential way to volunteer. Uh, as each time that comes about, there has to be a committee formed for that. Um, There's a committee for and everything. Then, uh, that information. 
do what? I said there's a committee for everything. Absolutely. <laughs> there is. There is. There's a lot of ways to volunteer. In other words, so definitely is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it is it is a standardized process. Uh, Ron mentioned earlier that uh, MB has an uh, accreditation also, that we are an accredited credential. Uh, and part of that is using those standard processes that are, uh, that are acceptable uh, among the you know, testing community. So um, this, uh, it is all done in formal ways and, and many different steps along the way for, uh, for volunteers. Well, thank you for mentioning that. And I want to talk a little bit about volunteering here in a minute. But what I also wanted to kind of reach out, Ron, do you have, um, are there any other, I guess we, I know we've mentioned the one to 10 ratio, but are there any other revisions that are made that you think that, uh, you know, deserve clarity or focus um, or that you'd like to mention? You know, um, Chris, the community is very active in, and, and you know this, um, uh, as a as in my role with the ARC, I, I do try to keep a, a, uh, an eye, I suppose, on, on the community commentary related to the accreditation process. Um, it's very pertinent and important to us that we, um, you know, act as a partner in that. And so um, I spend a fair amount of time uh, overseeing uh, you know, various social media boards where educators are predominant and um, occasionally we'll chime in. Usually that leads to more problems and it's worse, but occasionally... <laughs> And um, and uh, and we kind of monitor that. We also survey frequently and things such as that. Um, I want to speak a little, just very quickly, to a couple things that you won't see on the standards revision mm -hmm. uh, that um, that are are burgeoning topics in the education community, and and ARC is well aware of those um, topics and. Uh, we will be upon uh, completion of this uh, standards review process and approval of the of the number of changes that have been made. Um, we want to revisit with our community and start actually the next process um, as soon as possible. Um, one of the burgeoning conversations in the community is, and I think we touched on it briefly before, was uh, uh, instructional staff in in the programs. And um, as Grant mentioned, there's a number of professions that um, there are standards requirements for additional ancillary personnel. And I'll, I'll use the example of the clinical coordinator in our, our professional area. Um, currently, that's not a required position in, in education programs for surgical technologies. And there is a lot of discussion and anecdotal conversation and active conversation going on about, well, why can't the accreditation standards require um, clinical coordinators um, for programs uh, because many of our programs are one instructor um, operations and it's it's very telling very difficult for our program directors we recognize when they're in a one instructor program and they're trying to administrate educate um, assess um, provide clinical coverage lab lab competencies etc um, there's a couple reasons why that hasn't moved forward one is we haven't collected um, solid data at this point to be able to go back to our community. Um, so we, we fully intend to start that conversation at the conclusion of this round of accreditation standards. Um, we want to get feedback from all of our programs about what your specific needs are in your specific programs so that we have that data that we can cogently provide evidence that it's needed within our communities. Yeah. Um, keep, keep in mind now that we're going to be surveying our 
our program personnel, that would be you and Grant and all the other program directors and educators that may be listening into this podcast, um, we could also survey your administrative teams. And we'll probably see a completely different survey result based on that. Uh, yeah, so, I would concur. <laughs> yeah. So that being said, you know, um, moving ahead with standards changes um, can be a long process. We're trying to be as responsive as possible. Um, there also has been dialogue in the community about the lab ratio. Currently, it's set at ten to one. It's a, it's a, uh, by definition, it's a recommendation. Um, we don't typically cite on ten to one when we go out and uh, do a, provide a citation. If the lab ratio exceeds ten to one, what we usually cite on is um, things such as resources related to lab are the students being assessed appropriate in lab if there's 15 students in the lab and there's one individual overseeing those 15 students we typically will cite on well that's it doesn't appear that those students are being assessed enough under standard 4a1 to be um regularly apprised of their their progress through the program um, that may be one area it may also be a resource area there's a program director that's doing all of this work plus administrating the program so we may very well cite under standard 3b personnel program director saying the program director does not have ample time to fulfill all of their duties so we have ways to get around that recommendation to maintain that 10 to 1 and that's what we attempt to do um, but there has been uh, again i'll i'll, I'll put a point on this there has been talking to community well why can't the leverage should be six to one why can't it be eight to one um etc etc and again we need to collect data on our programs to see how we can potentially adjust that and work with our community to come to a better uh a better uh, uh process and a, and that will be more functional for our programs and and also our students and graduates I think that that is um, just, that's so great to hear. Um, my, first of all, I'd like to just say that my hat goes off to anyone who is a one man show, um, even those two man shows out there. Uh, you know, massive shout out to my incredible team because I, there's no way that we could be as effective as we are with just me, um, especially because A, I'm a hot mess and like B, it's just a lot. It's a whole lot to go through. Um, and also, I would say that as medically, and, and Grant, please speak up on this, because as the medical um, and surgical realm, the technology increases, I think the definition of what an entry-level surgical technologist looks like has changed. And it's, and, and so, you know, whereas we used to have stainless steel instrumentation and everyone was opened, now just from a technology standpoint, that bar has been raised. And, and so if you have one instructor to 10 students and just for repetition's sake, you know, there's, it's, it's difficult to get through one skill and have them be as hands-on as they need to be. Um, if you're watching 10 people and, and so it slows the process down. So if you have more eyes and more opportunities for those students to, you know, practice, repetitively and and to have that real-time feedback, um, I think they're going to do better and you can accomplish more. We're having to teach robots and, you know, nowadays a craniotomy is, a, is an entry-level surgical technology skill. You know, we have to know that. And so um, I think that you're going to find a lot of great positive feedback for why just a team is needed. Um, you know, I can't imagine having 
a one to 10 ratio in the, in the operating room in real life. So if we're really going to prepare these students for um, operating on real patients, uh, you know, having that team atmosphere, having that close support, I think is, uh, you're going to find a lot of support for that from educators. You know, Grant, do you have anything to add on that? Mm, uh, no, I totally agree that, that uh, it has uh, the technology and what a student has to know as a graduate has expanded greatly. Um, it definitely is one of the challenges of teaching them. Uh, the more you have in lab, the harder it is to get those foundations. And I, th I think one of the important um, parts of having a solid lab foundation is so that the students can, once they get to clinical, focus on learning those higher skills. So um, if they've got their foundational skills really intact, um, then they're not sitting there trying to, uh, using all their mental capacity on just doing the basics. Uh, they can then expand better and uh, add those layers on. Um, I know uh, here, I recently got funded a, uh, for a federal grant for a new um, laparoscopic trainer, laparoscopic system. And uh, the one I had uh, in the lab was from the 1990s. It's analog. <laughs> I'm the only one old enough that still knows how to use it. <laughs> so we're going to get one that actually our clinical sites use. And uh, my That's deal true. is to increase our laparoscopic training uh, so that when they get there, they'll be better able to advance to uh, the higher level laparoscopic cases and even then on robotics. So uh, yeah. anything we can do in that lab setting to get that better foundation, it, uh, it relieves the stress of their mental capacity so they can, can learn those things. And, uh, yeah, Grant, of, sorry. Grant, I, yeah. I think such a cogent point, and I just want to add one one component to that. You know, the expectations. When I was educating, I was an, I was a program director in California for twelve years, and every year in lab, we increased the number of touches, we increased the complexity of the labs that were practiced, the, the procedures that were practiced. You know, we were doing. I, when I first took over the program, we did abdominal hysterectomies, and we added cholecystectomies, and we added splenectomies, and we added C-sections. And every year I took them to clinical, the clinical site said, ah, they get better and better when they come in, and that expectation continued to increase. I guess my message to the, until such time that ARC can work with our community to require those additional personnel, because remember, your administration is going to potentially push back on that from a budgetary perspective. Um, until we can make that transition, and again, Grant, you're absolutely right. This is transitionary. We're working and working and working, trying to improve the process. Use your advisory board. Those clinical sites will come to bat for you and say, look, you're doing a great job getting prepared for clinical, but we would like this, 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 and this. And take that back through your advisory board with your, with your employers and use it with your administration to make the argument for increasing staff, increasing resources in the lab area. That's the last touch you have with those students before you send them off to clinic. It's critical important that they get every opportunity to succeed in the clinical setting. Your administration wants them to succeed because it counts as retention if they don't. So uh, again, there's many arguments that can be made to your administration to make this happen. Um, 
uh, you know, maybe a whole nother podcast on how to approach it would be uh, of benefit at some point. But but I think I can do that. <laughs> neither here nor there. I think that there's a, there's ample opportunity, and the community itself is full of, of of resources. Everybody is going through the same thing, and they all have their arrows in their quiver on how to address these issues. Well, we're on a, a excellent point there about the program advisory committee. Um, the, for the last, uh, actually the need for the laparoscopic system uh, upgrade came out of uh, uh, recommendation for our program advisory committee uh, to increase the amount of laparoscopic training the students were getting before going to clinical. Uh, so it's something that I then put on our discussion of resources uh, for each of the program advisory uh, committee meetings, and I've kept that on um, on that agenda now for almost five years. Uh, but I kept it there, so there was always that documented evidence and discussion to update it. So uh, that allowed then, when this opportunity came along to write this grant. I already had years of documentation that we've been discussing it with our uh, with our communities of interest, um, and the opportunity came along um, at a uh, in difficult time. It was uh, actually last fall, uh, so in the middle of dealing with all the pandemic stuff, I had this opportunity with a very short notice, only a couple of weeks to write the grant, um, but. I was like, okay, there's probably not other people writing one right now in the middle of the pandemic. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> but having that uh, support from the program advisory committee and my communities of interest, when I did, I was able to send out email surveys immediately to all of uh, my clinical sites. I sent out a text uh, survey uh, to my graduates from the last three years prior uh, you know, to get their feedback on how it would have been, helped them to have had their equipment. And uh, they replied at an amazing rate. And so we were able to put those comments in. But anyway, if it had not started, it all started at that program advisory level of them saying, you know, um, laparoscopic and those endoscopic cases keep increasing. And, um, you know, is there anything we can do to better prepare them? So at that point, you know, we started increasing our amount of laparoscopic uh, skills that we covered and, you know, started looking at these opportunities to increase our equipment and to update it to what they're actually using. Uh, not something that only, uh, only <laughs> I know how to turn on and off. So. <laughs> well, I can also say that you know, as a, as an old trauma scrub, um, we never cut anybody open anymore and just take a look. I mean, that's the rarity in the OR, um, despite, you know, what media would have us to believe. And so the technology part of teaching is just so incredibly um, important. And, and also, I think, efficiency of teaching these skills. Um, and, and so as we all kind of gather together as just a profession. Um, I think that being involved on a national level, being, being involved in the, in the creation and implementation of these revisions um, is so incredibly important. Uh, I can tell you that from a national level, I have just been in awe of the amount of people that are willing to share any and everything 
because, and you know, I will too, but my whole thing is I could come and be a patient in your state at any point because I love to travel and I, you know, I want the best patient care anywhere I go. Uh, and so, you know, we, we should share and we have been, um, and I just am in awe about from that, uh, the Edacred website I think is phenomenal. So Ron, you and your uh, team have done a great job there. And from, as an educator to have resources and just another way to maybe even look at things has been, um, just really helpful because, uh, you know, you can get kind of bogged down into the, we've always done it this way. Um, and, and I don't think that's ever the safe thing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, do you also, so my question, uh, my next question is that, so once the open hearings are done and public comment is, uh, ends in, on September 12th, the next step is the open hearing. Can you speak to what what an open hearing is like what is that what does that mean right both the um both the public comment period and the open hearing are required components of a standards revision um via the khep process and again the intent is to give our community the opportunity as i said to speak either to the proposed changes or provide um feedback that not in support of the uh, proposed changes and and moving to the associate's degree has been a long protracted process uh you know grant grant's been around for a long time as as have i and and um you know this really started back in 1990 with a house of delegates uh, resolution supporting the associates as a minimal education for surgical technologists so it's taken us 31 years to get to the point now you know the first 20 of those years was probably pretty um uh, nondescript, I suppose, is the best way of putting it. Very little really was moved forward. The organizations were growing. Uh, ARC had many transitionary things go on. Um, but certainly we picked up a lot of momentum over the past 10s and certainly since 2013. Right. Um, the open hearing is the opportunity for people to speak directly to the KHEP Standards Committee um, which will pass on those comments to the KF board of directors. And um, again, it's, it's, it's called due process. It's not, not unlike um, uh, counseling students in your program. Um, you know, typically your administration will say, you, you know, document, document, document. You have to pull the trigger, then you pull the trigger, but make sure you have the documentation if you have to counsel a student out of your program. Well, it's the same thing in count and in, in KF. Um, we've been working uh, nonstop, honestly, over the past, since 2017, 2018, on moving these standards forward. Um, and uh, communication is the key, Chris. And, and so we hope that we have effectively uh, relayed this process to, to our community. That would be our programs on our, our educational institutions. And that they're fully aware they have the opportunity to speak for or uh, are not uh, in favor of the standards transition. Um, as I said, the, the evidence is pretty um, striking right now that the community has moved that direction regardless of it not being in the standards. Yeah. Um, uh, there, you know, as I said, fully 70 plus percent of our programs are offering the associates. Um, we are we are diligently working and offering. There are a, a small percentage of programs that have yet to transition, 
and um, our experience and some challenges in that. And we are diligently working and trying to offer options to those programs to assist them in that process. So that's what KF is going to be looking for. Um, they're going to be looking for community buy-in. They will weigh all comments. And if there is enough evidence that it will be detrimental to the community as a whole, um, they could very well come back to the ARC and say, you need to go back to the drawing board on this. Mm-hmm. Um, personal perspective is I don't expect that's going to happen at this point. Um, it's been a long process. It's been a 31 year process and, um, we are not the first allied health uh, profession to make this transition. Uh, so I, uh, I, I, as I said, I, I welcome and encourage, uh, all individuals that feel that they need to speak, uh, in either regard to the standards to seize the opportunity to do so. Absolutely. Well, so I guess to kind of summarize uh, everything, it, so anticipated implementation is going to be in January 2022. Um, there is a two-year extension for the uh, actually implementation of like the associate degree requirement if a program requested. But um, I guess I want to speak to Grant here. I You've been in education long enough that you you've you've you were a part of the 2013 uh, revisions. And so how does a program begin to implementate revisions in the standards? Um, What is, I guess, what does that look like? So for those of us who are, who are newer in education, you know, where do we start? I guess, what's your advice? Um, Well, one thing is, uh, you know, just uh, that reviewing of the new standards and making sure that you do uh, meet the standards. Now, with an associate degree implementation, it varies a lot according to the type of institution. Uh, for community colleges, there's usually um, several different layers in which you go through uh, to get that approved through your state and then through your regional accreditors, such as uh, for, uh, for these uh, Southern accreditation. Um, it is uh, a long process, so if someone is at that point of that, if they're at an institution where they can offer an associate degree, they just have not gotten that approved, I would say definitely get on it. You know, that's something that's going to take a little time. Uh, in Alabama, we have to do a intent to apply application and then an actual application, and then it goes through um, two different uh, groups within uh, at the state level come back you have to have approval of your college curriculum uh, committee and uh, then also to afford uh, that to uh, to uh, our regional creditor and of course we would include ARC in, in that process of letting them know that we're going through uh, to uh, to be able to offer you know different options. So anyone that's still got that to do, it is it is going to take a, a good bit. Um, the other thing, just you know, as far as the general standards, is always being aware. So when you get those emails, and we got this opportunity now to review the standards and to comment. Then take the time to read the changes and see what it's going to be. And if it's not something that's going to work for your institution or you got questions or concerns, ask those concerns um, and just be you know, aware of it. You know, take that time to comment. Um, and then when they are in, um, implemented, you know, go through and, and see if there's any changes that is going to have a substantive uh, effect on how you do things. Um, when the new core curriculum comes out, 
uh, is a good opportunity to go through and make sure your curriculum is in alignment. Uh, you know, <laughs> like we've already said, always in a hot mess trying to balance so many things. It is hard to to manage all those things, but um, it is a good time to go back and, and review those. And uh, if you can bring in some part time to help help to help you with that process, or uh, any way you can gain, if there's uh, other in, uh, individuals at your institution that will help with that process, it's a good time to go back and, and do that. I uh, yeah. um, feel like every time we have a standards of change and a curriculum change. Um, that's just the ideal part to go back, ideal time to go back and, and check your alignment, make sure that you're on track. Are you leaving out things? Do you need to add something, um, you know, to keep it all balanced? Because it is hard balance. Um, you can't teach everything. <laughs> so, um, Darn it, we're um, trying, but uh, you can yeah. attempt to teach everything, but they're not going to learn everything. So, um, well, it I is look- quite a, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's it's a large task, but one that, oh my gosh, I know we've got some pretty amazing people in this field and, and uh, I have no doubt that, that they're going to be successful at it. And we'll have a, a future episode really on the core curriculum changes and uh, so we can delve kind of deeper in that. Um, when people get involved, um, I know there's site visiting, I know there's EDACRED, uh, you know, I, I there are various national committees, but how can we become a part of the process and not just a part of the outcome? I can say from uh, from the side of being a, uh, a site visitor that one of the things that held me back for the longest time was thinking, you know, um, well, I'm, I'm still a fairly new program director or, you know, I still want to fix this with my program or that with my program. And, and I kept putting it off. I thought, like, you know, I'm just, I'm not good enough to be doing that. You know, it was kind of, and I took site visitor training like three times before I ever uh, then finished out my application to, to be a site visitor. Um, but I said just get, jump on in there. Uh, it is such a, a, a valuable experience to, as a program director, to uh, to volunteer as a site visitor, uh, get to see other programs. That helps you to really learn the standards so when there are changes that you are it's easier you don't have to it's not as uh, foreign to you so um, I'll never forget some of my first visits and they're going oh my goodness uh, I need to know this better and uh, I need to get home and fix this because I didn't have this right at my program you know? <laughs> uh, the thing is there's no such thing as a perfect program we're all ways in the process and um, I'm always finding something that needs to be, I, I tell you, it, it's, it's just a continuous process. But that is the amazing part of the style of outcomes-based accreditation that we have is that's what it's supposed to be, just always improving your program. And uh, so I'm just going to, if you have any reservations about being a site visitor, uh, put that to the side. Go ahead and jump in there and do it. Um, you will learn so much from doing it that um, it's just really, it's definitely worth the effort of doing it. Awesome. Well, Ron Krizel, I'm going to give you the last word here. Um, what what do you think it's important to know as we've talked about, gosh, everything that we've talked about tonight, which has been just an, an amazing opportunity? You know, I, uh, I really, uh, you know, I'm an, I'm an, I'm an ST practitioner and I've 
scrub trauma, just like you. I, you know, I spent my life uh, doing multi-specialties and traumas and open heart, and uh, and I I moved into the education realm. I became a program director. Uh, I was fortunate enough. I, I spent time volunteering at a national level, and I was fortunate enough to be uh, selected as you know, as a, as a, a staff representative in, in this amazing profession that we all work in. And um, it's been my life. And I would say to anyone that uh, feels the same passion uh, that, that I do and that, uh, that clearly uh, Grant has, all of us, um, yeah, jump in and, and get started. And if it's if you're if you have consternation about maybe moving into the national area, start with your state um, or start with your institution. Chris, I, I, I've looked over your documentation. Uh, I'm not not stalking like uh, I just that I know you're, <laughs> I stalk like, you, I, Ron. So I mean, I know it's only fair. <laughs> I know you're like faculty president or faculty liaison or some type of higher level representative within your institution, you know, how admirable, you know, you, you run a program, you're doing that, you've got your family, all of us are multitaskers. And if you can find time in your life and, and feel that passion, then by all means do it. And Grant's absolutely right. Um, we're always looking for site visitors as you may have figured out at this point, Mm -hmm. we were, pretty much tabled in 2020 doing site visits. So we have a big backlog of visits that we're trying to do. Um, we're currently doing it virtually. We'll be moving back to uh, a hybrid approach where we're doing both for on-site and virtual, hopefully in 2022. Um, if you come on board, we're not going to throw you to the wolves. You'll be teamed with Grant, who's one of our more seasoned and veteran and excellent site visitors. And so we'll put you with Grant. He'll show you the ropes and we'll do that for a couple visits until you're ready to, to move up the chain a little bit. Um, there's us. NVSTSA has wonderful volunteer opportunities to work in exam development. You'll learn so much there, too. Um, I just think, uh, you know, the strength of us as a profession are the people that are listening now. And we, uh, you know, I, I want to thank you for your support of the ARC and, and just know we're here to partner with you. Absolutely. I can tell you that uh, I went through my first uh, accreditation visit or re-accreditation visit um, in, at the end of 2019. And, uh, I, you know, I had PTSD from Jayco visits uh, as, as you know, in the operating room. And, and it was the furthest thing from what it should, uh, what my experience was. Um, it was, it, it was an awesome experience. Uh, and, um, and one that I learned so much of, and just, it was more of a mentoring, like just, it was just a positive experience. It was stressful and because the expectation to be perfect is there. Um, and, but at the same time, it just, uh, it really shines a light on how, how supportive we all are to each other, regardless of what our, um, alphabet soup is in front of our name or behind it. Um, we, we as a, I think a good surgical technologist just takes care of their patient and that means doing whatever you can possibly do. And, and I just, uh, those of us who are in education, we just, um, we continue that, we continue that feeling, um, even into our relationships with each other and, uh, and, and helping everyone succeed because ultimately that means that, that we're going to do the right thing, um, all the time in the OR. So, um, 
my, uh, oh my gosh, my gratitude. I think this is one of the best episodes that I've ever had the opportunity to record. Um, I hope to have more of conversations like these with uh, powerhouses in the field. And I just, I couldn't be more grateful for both of your service, um, your volunteer work, uh, and and you're, you're always available for us. Um, Ron and Grant, you both have been just mentors to me and people that I look up to. And so thank you so much for taking time out of your evening um, to have this conversation. And I look forward to future conversations as well. Just thank you. Great job. You're doing a great job out in the community. Thank you for everything you do. Thanks. Thanks, Ron. And it was my pleasure to be a part of it. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please feel free to share it with anyone that you think may enjoy listening. Also, don't hesitate to reach out if you have ideas for upcoming episodes. If you would like to be featured on the podcast, um, we look forward to hearing all of your feedback and definitely having more people involved in the process. You can always reach us at our Facebook page. It's at the Scrub Life Podcast. You can also reach us through our um, webpage, which is the Scrub Life Podcast.wordpress.com. On our webpage, I have linked the uh, current standards and guidelines revisions that are currently um, in public comment, as well as a message from Ron Krizel and the timeline for uh, the upcoming process in the revisions becoming um, becoming permanent. Uh, please take a look at those revisions, make a comment. Uh, they really do listen to your feedback and we all have a responsibility to uh, make sure that the changes that are happening um, are in our best interest and that of our programs, our students and our patients. So thanks again to my guests, Ron Krizel and Grant Wilson. I could have talked to them all night. They're phenomenal. Um, if you have any questions, if you want to also send me an email, it's the Scrub Life Podcast at Outlook.com. Stay tuned to upcoming episodes. And thanks again for supporting this podcast um, and each other. Have a great day.